Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Hey, I want to do want to tell you, invite you into the world that I live in. Uh, many of you know that I celebrated a, another birthday um, a couple of weeks ago, so I was given a belated a birthday gift this morning by the very own uh, Mike McWhorter. And if you know Mike, you probably know this is not going to end well. Um, but he gifted me with a T-shirt um, this morning that he, he wants me to wear on stage. I don't know that I will today. But it says, I, I'm a pastor. Don't look so surprised. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's just, you know, anywhere I need encouragement. Chelsea, you ready? Here you go. Here you go. You should have seen her snag it in the first service. Like first service, she sat there and just went, and it really shocked me. But just then that was a, that was horrible. (laughs) Back to life, back to reality. That was, it is. So anyway, I love you, Chelts. But speaking of that, speaking of athleticism, uh, I'd want to kind of revisit um, part of my childhood, because if you know anything about me, even to this day and age, to say that I'm a little competitive may be an understatement, okay? I don't like to lose at anything. Checkers, I, I, I mean, literally nothing. I don't like to lose. But also, when you, when you don't like to lose, and something else that you're accustomed to of the fact that I'm a sucker for advertisement, those two don't go well together. Because if you try to sell me a product that I think is gonna make me more competitive and make me have an opportunity to win even greater, I'm all in. I can go back to probably my middle school age, and I'm really gonna age myself here. How many of you remember the shoes, Reebok pumps? Y'all remember those? They weighed like 47 pounds a piece. But I remember this commercial of the Reebok pump. There would be this little vertically challenged guy that he would be attempting to dunk a basketball and it never happened. And then all of a sudden it was these light bulb moment went off and he remembered that he had Reebok pump and he walked over to the side of the gym, propped his foot up on the side of the bleacher. And you guessed it, what happened next? He dunked. And I remember as a kid, I went, is that all there is to it? Like all I have to have is those shoes and I wish I could say that I went out and bought those shoes and was able to dunk in middle school but it never happened. But the problem with that is the fact that I don't like to lose and if you sell me something that's gonna make me more competitive, I'm all in. But now the older I get, you know they always say the older you get the better you were. That's kind of the world I live in too. And what I've realized is that I'm... I'm not as competitive when it comes to sporting events anymore because I can't do the things that I used to think I could do. But now, from a competitive mindset, 
All of that energy is geared towards hunting. We live in the South. It's hunting, not hunting. Do you deer hunt? No, I deer hunt. Like, that's it. I deer hunt. I'm a hunter. But if you tell me that there's a product or an item that'll make hunting a little easier, provide an opportunity for me to be more successful, to provide something that makes it more enjoyable, all you gotta do is tell me where to get one because I'm all in. I'm gonna do it because I believe if it's gonna make things better, if it's gonna make things easier, if it's gonna allow me to be more successful, then sign me up. But you know, that's the world of marketing. That's how marketing works. All that marketing is about is that topic alone. It is simply to sell a product that appears to make things more enjoyable or to make things to the place where you're more successful, to make it where you can accomplish more. And that's the mindset of marketing. And if you turn the TV on, you see everything being marketed. How many of you have fallen a victim to products to make your yard look better. All of us have, right? If, well, maybe I'm the only idiot. I mean, but if you show me, hey, this product will make it easier to cut grass, it'll make it easier to take care of things, and then usually the case is it never turns out that way. And now we even see, how many of you have seen lately the, the, the last pillow you'll ever buy? Y'all seen it come back out? Like, if you buy this pillow... You will sleep better than you've ever slept. Well, sign me up. I want one of those pillows. So we see everything being marketed and from lawn equipment to sporting equipment to pillows. But it's selling these items as if it's going to allow us to have more success, an easier time, and ultimately to make things more enjoyable. And so I say all that to say, I want, I want to revisit something that I mentioned just a few weeks back. And it was a burden and a conviction that I have that I, that I see a trend happening in the world of Christianity that I see happening in churches. And it's the fact that we're caught up in this mindset that Jesus is some product to market. That it's our responsibility to sell Jesus instead of preaching Jesus. And what you're going to find is that when we sell Jesus instead of preaching Jesus, it's not reality. It's not reality because what is so heartbreaking is that every Sunday, there's people in here in this room this morning, there's every day, there's people that are scrolling on social media that are hungry, that are broken, that are hurting, that are searching. And we have people that have the audacity to sell them a Jesus honestly in the context of what I'm gonna talk about that doesn't exist. Because when you have people who are broken, when you have people who are hurting, when you have people who are searching and they're told, if you'll just believe in this God, if you'll just pray this prayer and everything's gonna get easier, you'll be more successful. From a worldly perspective, you'll have all these blessings and then all of a sudden they try this Jesus out and it doesn't turn out the way that they were promised, then all of a sudden they're left disappointed in the God that they were sold, that in reality that God doesn't even exist. And that's where we have got to be so, so careful that it's not about selling Jesus, that it's about preaching Jesus. And what needs to be preached, what needs to be taught is the reality 
of what hope is all about. Because there's people that are telling a lost and a dying world that hope is found, that hope is found in things that are of this world. And we're trying to even make God of this world. We're trying to make Jesus of this world. And what it's leading to is it's leading to broken people discrediting the church and at the end of the day, discrediting and they want nothing to do with God because they try him out for a little while and it doesn't turn out the way they were promised. Have y'all been in that as seen on TV section of Walmart? Y'all been in there? My wife loves that junk because it is junk. Because as seen on TV never turns out the way that it's sold. And I believe that that's what we're doing in a lot of churches today is that we're making Jesus as some product as seen on TV. But the truth is this. The truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that hope isn't found in anything this world has to offer, but hope is found in him and only him. And those who follow Christ, those who truly are bought in to believing and trusting and selling their lives out to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you begin to realize that hope isn't found in the temporary things of this world, but it's found in the eternal things of Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to know today is that I love you enough that I'm not gonna try to sell you Jesus. As long as God allows us to be here, we're gonna preach Jesus. And I'm just gonna be honest, if preaching Jesus offends you, oh well. And can I tell you, the simplicity of the gospel will offend you. It's been offending people for thousands of years. And so what I wanna do this morning is we're gonna continue to dive back into the conversation between Jesus and the disciples. But before we jump two feet into the next part of the scripture we're gonna talk about, I wanna revisit something that Pastor Greg mentioned last week, and it was the very last verse that he shared in John chapter 15. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. And I wanna go ahead and, and I guess make a disclaimer, if you would, that the next two weeks are probably going to be in our face just a little bit because of the reality of the world that we're living in. And what I've continued to watch, even this past week, as I, I hear pastors and preachers stand up and, and teach, that what I want you to understand is that I'm over being politically correct, and it's time the church gets back to being biblically correct. And so that's what we're gonna do is we are not gonna preach what's politically correct, but we're gonna preach and teach what's biblically correct. And can I tell you right now, it is going to offend the public. But it's what we've gotta stand on. We don't have a choice. 
But in John chapter 15, the very last thing that we read last week is in verse 17. He tells the disciples, this I command you, that you love one another. This I command you, that you love one another. Now again, keep in mind, always keep in mind the context of what's being read, the conversation that's being had. Remember, it's a for Jesus and his 11 disciples. Jesus and the 11 men who are devoted to following him. So this is between him and his disciples and what he wants them to understand. He's telling them, hey guys, hey you 11, what you gotta understand, I'm commanding you this. You gotta love one another. You've gotta be unified. You 11 have gotta stick together. You together have got to be united and locked arms and walking with one another. And the reason that he tells them this is because of what he's getting ready to tell them next. He's telling this, it is imperative that you love one another. And the reason that he's telling them to love one another is because what we're gonna see in the last 10 verses of chapter 15 is this. He's at the end of the day, he's telling the disciples, hey guys, it's us against the world. It's us against the world. And us meaning him and those who have committed their life to follow him. And the world is anyone who opposes that. Anyone who opposes Jesus and his disciples. And we're gonna talk more about that just a little bit later. But what he's doing is he's getting ready to inform the disciples of the war that they are about to step into. And so what I wanna do in just a moment is I wanna pause for just a second because what I think we need to do this morning that we need to acknowledge as followers of Jesus Christ, what we need to do this morning is if you have placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and you would declare that you are his child, that you are a follower of Christ, what we have to do this morning is we have to acknowledge the reality of what we're living in. And the reality of what we are living in, listen to me, we live in a sick, sick world. We live in a sick, sick world. And what we gotta understand is that a follower of Christ, it is us against this sick, sick world. It's us against the world. Exactly what Jesus was telling the disciples to get ready for. And because it's us against the world, this is what drives Chestnut Mountain to be who God has called us to be. And you say, well, what does that mean? This is the very reason alone, this fact that it's us, the believers, not just those who fall under the name of Chestnut Mountain Church, but anybody who is plunged in the cleansing flood of Jesus' shed blood. We are united in the blood of Christ because can I tell you that the name of Chestnut Mountain Church never saved anybody. It is only the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And for all those who have plunged into that, we are all in this thing together. And it doesn't matter what local fellowship God has called you to be in today. Because at the end of the day, it's all of us against the world. It's all of us against the world. And this is why we are so, so passionate about the Big C Church. 
I know you probably get tired of hearing that. I'm not going to apologize for that either because that's who we are. That's the very reason that Pastor Jared this morning is at River Bend on the other side of town. Been there for the last three weeks. We'll probably be there for the next four to five weeks or 12 weeks or ever how long God wants him to be there. This is the very reason that this morning that Marcus Donaldson and Joshua Richards, who God had placed here in our fellowship, whom we have sent out to pastor and shepherd the flock at City Church of Gainesville, because what we have to understand is they're not ours. They are God's, and it is our responsibility to be open-handed with whomever God has placed here. This is why on any given Sunday that there's, there's Sundays that some of our worship team is missing. But you see, they're not missing. They're leading worship in other fellowships. There's gonna be any given Sunday where you're gonna see some of our staff may look a little smaller because some of our pastors have gone and preached at other churches. But what's beautiful is now people are beginning to call us when they need help. That's what the Big C Church is about. This is the very reason that just this past week, Dwight Joy, one of our elders, and Brianna Smith, one of our members, returned back from the nation of India. They just got back Thursday night. But here's the beautiful part. They led some 15 people that would call Free Chapel home. That's the big C church coming together to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of that is this. 134 people came to know Jesus Christ in India this past week. I heard report that there was a, a young man, 13 years old, who grew up in the religion of Hinduism, who after two days of VBS cried out, I, I want Jesus 13 year old boy. Now what we're going to talk about persecute. Well, I'm not going to get ahead of myself back up. There was a mute lady. Mute means you don't speak. Guess what? She said the name Jesus. This is the things that are happening when God's people get over church names and come together to change the world. Because here's the truth as a follower of Christ. It's us against the world. It's us against the world. And at the end of the day, we don't have time to try to build a church name. We don't have time to be in competition with another church. We don't have time to exhaust all of our resources to try to win this church battle. Because at the end of the day, it's not a battle. The only battle we are in is when we are locking arms with brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter where they're worshiping this morning and we are coming against the world. Who we're gonna read about in just a minute hates us. Hates us as followers of Christ. And so I want us to keep looking at Jesus addressing the importance of the unity in these believers. Read with me in verses 18 through 20. Remember, he's just told them, love one another. But here's why you've got to love one another. Here's why you have to be unified. 
If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So what we notice in these first two verses, or the first ver half of the first verse in verse 18, Jesus sets the stage for the rest of this chapter. It's as if he draws the line in the sand and he identifies both parties that he's talking about. And he uses the word you to describe the followers of Christ, to describe those who believe in him, for those who have trusted in him. And if we were to go back in 14 and 13, you would see that this is also identified by those he said who keeps his commandments. For those who are submitted to follow him, this is you. This is those who have trusted in Jesus. But then he also, the lion in the sand on the other side, he declares that as the world. Now, when we read throughout the scripture, when we use the word world, there's several times it's used in different contexts, but specifically for the context of what Jesus is talking about, I think it's very important that we define the word world, who he's talking about. So he says, there's you, the disciples, and then there's the world. Well, who's the world? Here's the world. It's the ungodly multitude. It's the mass of people alienated from God. And it's those who are hostile to the cross of Christ. And so when he refers to the world, it's as if Jesus is referring to the fallen world led by unsaved people controlled by Satan. And I know that sounds blunt. I know that sounds in your face. But if you want to know what that looks like, just turn on the TV and what you're gonna see is this is exactly what we're being exposed to every day. This is exactly what our children are exposed to every day. This is a fallen world being led by unsaved people controlled by Satan. That's it. You say, well, that's awful harsh. Well, it's awful true. It is what it is. But here's the beauty as a follower of Christ. We just read about it when Pastor Brandon got up here and shared. We don't belong here. This isn't home. We're just passing through. And our responsibility while we are here is to take as many people to heaven as we can with us. This is what it looks like when we gather together, when we lock arms and we battle against the world. This is the importance of us being unified. Because Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, look guys, I'm not trying to sell you anything, but what I wanna do is I wanna make you aware of reality. He's telling the disciples, look, just because you follow me, it doesn't mean that all the earthly circumstances are gonna go away. It doesn't mean that life is gonna get easier. It doesn't mean that you're gonna be blessed beyond worldly measures. 
But here's the reality of what it means when you follow me. You ready for this? You'll be hated. You'll be hated by the world. And this, this is why the believer in Jesus Christ, why we gotta love each other. Why we've got to be together. But Jesus not only tells them that they will be hated, but I love it how he always goes another step and he says, you'll be hated, but I'm also gonna tell you why you're gonna be hated. You're gonna be hated because the world hates me. Because you were once of the world, but I delivered you and saved you from the world. I set you apart And now that you're set apart, they hate you because you are one with me. But at the end of the day, they hate you because they hate me because I'm the one responsible for your salvation. I'm the one that's responsible for calling you out of darkness. And so that's why they hate me. And so we ask the question, or at least I do, when I hear about Jesus, when I read about Jesus, we think in our mind, How in the world did anybody hate Jesus? Jesus did nothing but love people. He did nothing but serve people. But according to the gospel of Mark chapter 15, it said that Jesus was accused of many things. And this is why they hated him. This is why the Jews hated him. One of the things that he was accused of, one of the things that he was called out for was disrupting Jewish tradition, disrupting religion. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that around here, Jesus is welcome to mess up our religion, that this is his house, this is his service, this is his hour and a half that we're together. Whatever he wants to do with it, he can have at it. So I welcome him to show up and mess up our religion. But you see, the Jewish religion hated him for that. They also hated him because he would fellowship with people that they had basically wrote off because they were too sinful. They were too big of a mess because they weren't worthy to be fellowshiped with. Again, I am thankful to be a part of a church that that's the very people we welcome. That's the very people that we want to go to is the one that the religious people stick their nose up to. Because I can go ahead and tell you right now, I would be one of those people that the religious people stuck their nose up to. I'm a mess. But I'm thankful that I serve a God who doesn't let my mess stop him from coming after me. So he was hated for messing up the Jewish religion. He was hated for fellowshipping with people who didn't align and follow all the rules and cross all the T's and dot all the I's. But at the end of the day, the main reason that Jesus was hated was because of what he was declaring. Because the fact that he was declaring to a bunch of religious people, hey, I am the only way. I am. And the only way. If you remember in John 14, 6, Jesus says that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. 
And that ticked all the religious people off because they thought in their mind that they could physically earn the love of God. They thought that they could follow all the rules, that they could be good enough. And who is this carpenter from Nazareth that tells me that I am wrong? Who is this nobody that was born in a manger that was born in a feed trough is gonna tell somebody who's religious and higher up that I'm wrong and that he's the only way? They hated him. And ultimately, that's what led to his death on the cross was he was accused of blasphemy. He was accused of somebody not being who they claimed to be in the Jewish eyes. But Jesus is telling them there, look, they hated you. They're hating you because they hate me. And he makes them aware of that in verse 20. He says, remember, a slave is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. If they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you too. And so he's telling the disciples, the reason they're gonna persecute you is because you're gonna keep teaching the same truth that I've been teaching. You're gonna continue to preach and teach that I am the only way, that I am the I am, that all of their stuff is wrong, all of their stuff is not gonna bring hope, it's not gonna provide what they're looking for because you're gonna keep preaching and teaching who I am, you're gonna keep preaching and teaching the gospel of who I am and because of that, they're going to hate you but don't forget at the end of the day, it's just because they hate me. It's because they hate me. You know, this is the exact teachings that Paul, we see some years later, was continuing to teach. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, listen to what Paul says in verses 10 through 12. He's talking about the people who have witnessed his ministry, who have watched what he's done, who has watched what's happened to him. And he says this, now you, you followed my teachings, conduct, my purpose, faith, the patience, the love, the perseverance. Verse 11, persecutions and sufferings. Such as happened to me in Antioch at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I have endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Listen to verse 12. If you don't hear another verse or anything that is said today, you need to hide this word in your heart right here in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me read that one more time. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will have a smooth life. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be blessed beyond measure while you're in this world. Is that what it says? But the sad part is that's what's being taught. But that's not reality for all those who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. And I know that word persecuted, it kind of gets 
thrown around a lot. We talk about persecution, and in some cases that could be written off as sort of a churchy word, because we really don't hear that word if you're not at church. But what we realize is that the definition of persecuted is this, it's one to be pursued, harassed, oppressed, and in some cases, punished. And if we look all throughout the scripture, we look in the Old Testament, we look in the New Testament, we see all ranges of persecution. We, th we see physical persecution, which in the worst case scenario, the physical persecution is someone's life being taken as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. Physical persecution can come by way of, of simply your body just being maimed for what you believe in, for what you trust in. But then we also see some places in scripture where there's, there's social persecution. There's discrimination. There's people being made out to be outcast as a result of their faith. I think about this 13-year-old young man in India who cried out, I want Jesus. Do you realize what that probably cost him? Everything. It cost him his parents. It cost him his family. It cost him who the world knew him to be. Because in that culture, when you convert to Christianity, they write you off. There is no greater persecution than you being shunned by the very people that you thought loved you the most. But then there's also the aspect of the mental side of persecution. The ones that are being threatened to not speak of what you believe in. Do you know the mental anguish and the suppression that that places on an individual when you're threatened to not preach or teach the gospel that you believe in? When you look at the life of the disciples, there was many places where a lot of their persecution had accompanied several they would be beaten physically, but then mentally they would be told, don't preach of that gospel again. But we all know that ultimately it led to the majority of all of their death because of what they believed, what they kept preaching and teaching. So we have to ask the question, here in the United States of America, Is persecution something we experience? Is persecution something that we may know a little bit about? You know, I think we can all agree that in America, we don't hear a lot about people losing their life as a result of their faith in Christ. But can I tell you, if we keep going down the path we're going, it's coming. It's coming. And so it's very easy for us to, in America to sort of write that off. That I, I don't, I've never lost a friend or a loved one because of what they believe in. But I found a survey or some research that was done from October 2019 till September of 2020. One year period over the world, not in America, but over across the world, that some 4,761 people 
were killed as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. That averages out to about 13 people a day that lost their life because of their faith being in Jesus Christ. I know to you and I, it's very hard to comprehend that. But this is the reality. And the reason they were murdered, the reason they were killed is because they're hated by the world. They're hated by the world. But as we keep looking at persecution, and like I said, I don't know that we can, I don't know that we can really fathom losing a life as a result of our faith. Because it's not necessarily something we've experienced. However, there are other types of persecutions that we walk through. And I think about the social aspect of persecution. And I know maybe even as adults, you sit there right now and you say, well, I'm, I, I've not really socially experienced anything as a result of my faith. I, I've not really been shunned. I've not really been considered an outcast. Well, that's good for you. But if you wanna talk to someone who is experiencing this social persecution, you talk to our teenagers. You talk to our teenagers. And the reason that I say that is because, heck, I got a lot of them. And I know firsthand what it's like to watch my kids be shunned for what they believe. To be considered outcast. To not necessarily be in the popular crowd. But you know, I don't know that there's a teenager in the room that is a true follower of Christ that doesn't experience just one small piece of this social persecution that we're talking about. You know, at the end of the day, what we have to realize is, is that our teenagers, yes, they wanted to claim to stand firm on the foundation of the truth of the gospel. But what we have to realize is these teenagers are still a lot like us adults. They're still fleshly human beings. They still have a desire in their flesh to be loved and accepted and to be one with everybody else. And what breaks my heart more than anything is that when the world comes against our teenagers so hard and so heavily that we watch our teenagers get to a place where they're willing to compromise their conviction just so they can feel loved, just so they can feel accepted. 
Church, this is the very reason that we've got to love one another. This is the very reason that our teenagers have got to come together. This is the very reason that our kids have to come together, that they've got to discover together that their identity is not found in how much this world loves them, but their identity is found only in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, the very world that you want to love you hates you. And your identity is found in him and him alone. And this is the reason that as long as God allows me to be here, we're going to exhaust every resource we have to pour in to our children and our teenagers. This is the very reason that we're going to do nasty, disgusting golf tournaments on a Thursday. I hate golf. But by the grace of God, every single penny, listen to me, every single penny is going to send your kids and my kids to a place where they're gonna be separated just for a few days to have the gospel of Jesus Christ poured into them and poured over them. And in my concern, there is no price tag that we can afford that we will not pay to make sure that happens. And there's coming a day, listen to me, that our kids ain't gonna have to pay a red cent to go to camp. Because I feel as a church, it's what we should be doing. It's making that investment worth it. And can I tell you, as a youth pastor one time, I got in trouble for announcing that. They asked me to do offering one Sunday. I said, sure, I'll do offering. We're about four weeks away from student camp. And I shared exactly what I just told you. And immediately after service, I had a lady come up to me with tears rolling down her face. And she said, I believe in what you just said. How much does it cost for a teenager to go to camp? And I told her, she said, okay. She met me in the hallway Wednesday night right before service. And she said, here's a check to pay for 50 kids to go. She handed me a check for almost $15,000. And can I tell you that there's teenagers eternity that were changed as a result of that investment? So guess what? I get to stand up here every week and say it. We're gonna send our kids to camp sometime. And look, if you're a parent of a kid, of a little one, fifth grade and under, I'm sorry because camp's full. It is. There's no more spots available. Get them put on a waiting list. But moms and dads of teenagers, teenagers, I gotta be careful right here because I know some of us as parents, we say, well, I don't wanna push them to do something they don't wanna do. If you don't push them to do something they don't want to do, the world's going to. So by all means, with everything you have in you, 
encourage them to be at student camp. Because I promise you, they're not gonna encounter Chestnut Mountain. They're gonna encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ and they will find hope. They will find security. They will find salvation in the only one who will never disappoint them. So I know you're saying, well, you're not supposed to beg. I'm begging. Send them to camp. Send them to camp. And listen to me. If you say, well, there's no way I can afford it. There's no way I can afford it. How much is camp, Chase? 300. I can't afford $300. Don't worry about it. We'll afford $300 for you. I don't care how we gotta make it happen. We'll make it happen. I'll sell off a couple of my kids if I have to. (laughs) My three oldest are saved. They're good, all right? (laughs) If I gotta sell them, I'll sell them. But do not let that be a hurdle. Do not let that be the hiccup that the enemy uses to keep your child from camp. There's a reason that we've shifted some things around. There's a reason that student camp this year is the week school is out. Football hasn't up and gone yet. Baseball, I think it's still going on, but we listen. It is what it is. We got to get them to camp. We got to get them to camp. Because our teenagers are experiencing the social persecution every day of their life. We also think about the mental aspect of persecution. Have you ever been told to stop sharing the gospel in your workplace? Have you ever been told that you can't share that? Have you ever been told that you can't speak of that? I have. I have. Even as a chaplain of a football team. I'm thankful that coaches are willing to stick their neck out. And I'm thankful that the chaplain I was where I was at several years back. That the public school was getting all kind of heat. For praying before games. And we were told, hey, you better pray in the locker room before you come out onto the field. I remember going to the coach and say, just let them take me to jail. We went and prayed on the field. Greater is he that is us than he that is in the world. But we've got to stand on the truth of what saved us. And this is the very reason that we as believers have got to be unified. This is the very reason that we have gospel preaching churches. Now listen, I'm not saying all churches because there's some churches out there that ain't preaching the gospel. But all gospel preaching churches, we've got to come together and be unified in this war that we are living in. And there's nothing that breaks my heart more. There's nothing the enemy likes more than to turn believers against believers. And for the love of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, stop attacking followers of Jesus Christ on social media. Stop tearing each other apart. Stop calling out the speck in everybody else's eye when you got a telephone pole in your own. 
There's nothing the world, there's nothing that Satan loves more than when we as the church turn against each other. And heaven forbid, if a follower of Christ goes on social media and tears the most precious thing apart to our heavenly father, and that is his bride. Look, I love all of you. But you start running your mouth about my bride, we got a problem. I would tread lightly as a child of God if you begin to tear down his bride. Be careful. I can promise you God will shut you up. But there's nothing the enemy loves more. He's sitting back and grinning from ear to ear. Say, look, the Christians, <laughs> they fight with each other. What lost world wants to be a part of that? But church, this is the very reason that we've got to be together. Because it's us against the world. So you say, well, how do we respond this morning? I ain't got a clue. But can I tell you a great place to start? On your face, begging God to give you boldness. That when you're persecuted, that you're not gonna compromise. And teenagers, listen to me. There's some of you right now that there's so much pressure that you're one step away from compromising who you are in Christ. To making a mistake that you can't undo. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's a teenager in the room that this is you. You're sitting there in your mind right now and you're saying, do I choose Jesus or do I choose the world? This is why you need each other. You need to grab that brother or sister in Christ that's beside you. And you need to say, help me. I'm so bad, I wanna be loved and I wanna be accepted and I'm about to compromise who I am. But Colin, I need you to help me stand strong. Brock, I need you to help me stand strong. Brody, I need you to pull me in. Corbin, I'm about to slide, but I need you to grab me by the hand because I know I can't compromise. That's what unity looks like. So this morning, I think we just pray. I think we just pray for boldness and maybe you are a teenager that you're on the brink of compromising. You grab that group leader by the hand you say, I need your help. I'm struggling and I need your help. Because I know God's called me to more. But this is that awkward part where I don't know when to shut up because I really don't know how to end. So I'm just going to shut up. And we're just going to pray. Adults, please don't think I'm just talking to teenagers. 
there's an adult in the room that you're on the brink of compromise. And can I tell you that compromise is probably gonna cost you your marriage. That compromise may cost you your job. Grab a brother or sister and say, hey, I need you. God, I pray right now. God, I pray that we would be transparent and obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to stand to your feet. The altar's open. You just pray for boldness, pray for wisdom, pray for strength today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.